Well, we turn to a series that began a little while ago on Romans and the righteousness of God. And today it's the demands of God's righteousness. Now, last week, Zach, I very much hope, looked at the reality of God's righteousness as it relates to his wrath towards sin, which in its every facet is an affront and a challenge to the righteousness of God. Uh, and what I want to do is to uh, maybe summarize the verses that we didn't read from Romans 2, chapters, uh, verse 17, rather, uh, onwards, uh, and uh, then try and bring out some points that we can learn together uh, from these rather difficult words. I don't know about you, but I find Romans quite a difficult book. It's uh, quite dense. Uh, uh, Paul speaks in very long sentences, and uh, uh, it is just packed with things. It's also, uh, I think, a book that draws a lot upon Jewish heritage and background. And if you're not really into that, it, it makes the book a little bit more difficult. But the, the book uh, became very interesting to me. Uh, it should have been long before this, but when my, my grown-up daughter was a teenager, uh, she drifted away from Jesus and the church. And then one day she came in to me and she said, Dad, have you read Romans? I said, uh, yes. She said, it's amazing. It, it, it's the whole gospel. If you knew other book in the Bible, only Romans, you had everything you need to know about the gospel and Jesus and righteousness and all that sort of thing. I thought, wow, she's really got this. Uh, and today it still remains her favorite book of the, the Bible. So it's an incredible book uh, and one which we do well to try and study even through sometimes the density of words and uh, uh, ideas that are there. Paul begins in chapter 2 and verse 17 with the words, Now, you, if you call yourself a Jew. And we may, if we want to find a way of seeking a parallel between our lives and the people that Paul was writing to, when you see the word Jew and circumcision, you may want to draw a parallel between that, between Christian and baptism. Uh, the, the sacrament of baptism. So as you read through these verses and you hear Paul talking about Jews and circumcision, think Christian baptism, public profession of faith that uh, uh, we make not only in baptism but in communion. Uh, and so Paul says, "You, if you call yourself a Jew, and he goes into a very long sentence, piling up description after description of the privileges and blessings that the Jews claimed. He talks a lot about the covenant of circumcision. Uh, and as I said, that's a helpful way for us to think of that perhaps is to draw parallel with baptism. And he outlines the purpose of God's calling the Jews as a special people set apart to worship him and to bring glory to his name. If you have your Bible open, uh, please look with me at Romans 2 and verses 19 and 20. And this is what he says, if you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, and he goes on in the sentence. So really in, in those verses or those words that we've just picked up as it were mid-sentence, Paul says there's a fourfold purpose to the calling of the Jews. They were to be a guide to the blind. 
And likewise, we are called as Christians to be a guide to those who are spiritually blind. The, the Bible really describes humanity as in the state of being lost, of being in darkness, of being spiritually blind. Uh, and so the calling to the Jews is exactly the same as the calling to God's people today. We are to be a guide for the blind. We are to point people to Jesus, the truth and the light of the world. And he says also that the Jews were to be a light for those who are in dark. Uh, and so each one of us as God's people, if you want to put it this way, are to be mini Christs. Uh, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. And so he calls us to be mini lights, pointing people who are in the darkness of sin to what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And we do that by modeling what it is to live as a Christian. We'll come back to that in a minute. And Paul says then we're also to be an instructor of the foolish. That might not be words that would win over non-Christian people say, I've come to instruct you, foolish person. Uh, but, uh, but what it really means is that the natural or worldly person doesn't understand Christian spirituality. When you read of reports of Christian events in the newspapers, you often see a kind of distortion of what we really believe because the world out there doesn't really understand. And we are to help people understand what true faith in Jesus Christ is about. And says Paul, the Jews were called, and we are called also, to be a teacher of infants. We are to teach our children the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. We are to pass on the blessings and knowledge of God's covenant love down through the generations. And I, I love the fact that uh, my wife and I were blessed with four children. We prayed for them before they were born. We prayed with them when they were born. We used to play a little thing at tea time with our primary school age children. We'd say, anything sad happened in, in school today? Anything bad happened? Anything glad happened? Uh, and then we would pray about them while the food was getting cold. They could see the children kind of opening their eyes and saying, I really want to get tucked into the meal. But we used to do that before meals. And we have a great blessing in the Presbyterian Church and in this church as well, but throughout our church, we have Sunday schools and Bible classes, and, you know, right now our children are out here learning more about Jesus. But those of you who are parents, the responsibility for sharing and developing the faith to the generations is not down to Sunday school teachers and Bible class leaders and youth leaders. It's your responsibility to pass on the faith of Jesus Christ to your children and through the generations. And so Paul says the Jews were called and we are called likewise to be a teacher of infants. In other words, God's calling to Israel was that it would be a missional community, pointing people to the living God and modeling true faith. Just as we are called to be a missional people, witnessing the salvation we have only and in and through Jesus Christ. One of the best Old Testament missional statements that is very similar to what Paul has been saying in Romans chapter 2 is to be found in Isaiah chapter 42 and verses 6 and 7. If you have your Bible, do open it and follow it with me, but otherwise I'll read it for you. Isaiah 42 and verse uh, 6. Uh, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. 
I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. What a wonderful mission statement that is, not only to the Old Testament people of Israel, but to us, uh, to release captives from prison. Uh, And I see so many people who are imprisoned by low self-esteem or by habits that they cannot overcome or by attitudes that are full of vindictiveness or bitterness or harshness or coldness. I see so many people trapped in a prison that without Christ they have no hope. And our mission is to open the eyes that are blind to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And it's an incredible mission that God gave to the Jewish people and he gives to us as well today. But there was a problem with the law. The law that God had given in the Old Testament was something that the Jews weren't much good at keeping. That's why, in fact, God planned to send Jesus to perfectly keep the law and make a final once and for all sacrifice for our sins that would be acceptable to God. So Paul says in Romans 2 and verses 21 to 24, again, if you have your Bible open, you may find it useful just to to follow that. Romans 2 at 21, you then who teach others Do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. Wow, what what words. The Jews, because they consistently failed to keep up God's word and law. They failed to walk the talk, as we say today. And so Paul says to these people in Rome that he's writing to, are you sure that you don't commit adultery? Are you sure that you are morally pure? Are you sure you don't have any idols? And they might, to a modern-day audience, say, what about your attitude to money? and power, and sex, and social position, uh, and, and so forth. Are there any idols there that you need to get rid of? He also says, do you rob temples? Now, commentators maybe have different ideas of what he means by that. Uh, Douglas Moo, uh, a commentator, says the most likely meaning was the practice of robbing pagan temples of precious metals and melting them down for profit. Maybe today Paul would say, do you disrespect others by rubbishing their faith when your own faith is flawed and misplaced. And likewise, those who are Christians in name only but don't live a conspicuously Christian life dishonor God. But it's worse than that, says Paul. If you're not walking the talk, if you're not putting into practice what you say you believe, you not only are dishonoring God with your own life, you're causing Gentiles or non-Jews to blaspheme the name of God. And that's all too relevant today, sadly. Just a couple of weeks ago, it was revealed that a pastor of a well-known county down church was sacked because of immorality. The 41-year-old pastor was found to be having an affair with a 22-year-old married woman whose wedding he had conducted less than two years ago. So you get in the newspapers headlines like Love Cheat Pastor. 
uh, and the, the name of the church. And I have known Christian relatives who've brought this up with me and they've said, typical church, isn't it? People preaching one thing and living another thing. Gentiles blaspheming the name of God because Christians have fallen uh, and have not lived up to what they said they believed. The church of Christ is dragged into the gutter and the world blasphemes the name of our God. It's so important that we take on board the demands of God's righteousness are something that are not just out there for others to uh, take on board, but something for us to take on board. Uh, so Paul says, you say to the law you shouldn't commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Do you say you preach against stealing, but you steal, you rob God or other people? So what Paul says is this, is a real Jew or a real Christian something that we recognize by the life that we live? And look at Romans uh, chapter 2 and verses 28 and 29, because these, I think, are key words for us. A man or a woman is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. You see, I think that is so important. You know, Presbyterians are wonderful people. I don't know if you ever think of that. Maybe some of you don't see yourself as dreadfully Presbyterian. But there's a lot to be thankful for in our Presbyterian community and history down through the generations. But I think there's one thing that has struck me because I grew up in the Presbyterian church from a, a child baptized in High Street in Hollywood uh, and then journey through Presbyterian church. I've never not been a Presbyterian in that sense. But one thing Presbyterians are not so good at is getting faith from the head or the brain down to the heart. That 18-inch journey from head to heart is something that because many of us have quite a cerebral faith, we find that journey a little bit difficult. And yet Paul says, you're not a real Christian unless it's inward. If it's all about outward show, I've been baptized, I pay in, I attend, all these things are good, but if it's only to do with that and not the inward heart-love relationship with God, then something is missing, and we're in danger of causing people to dishonor God. And so what I think really Paul is saying is this, uh, and I, I want to draw out a few points. Uh, first of all, actions speak louder than words. I remember a story of one of our professors in the college who was a man whose theology I would not necessarily have agreed with. He was a universalist. Uh, but one of the amazing things about him was his compassion for people. Uh, and his love for Jesus was very much shown in how he loved people. There was a famous story of him going to church. He, he had a bit of a journey which he made on foot from his manse down past a number of houses, a row of terraced houses into church. Uh, and one day he was late and the congregation were waiting for him very 
uh, annoyed and uh, eventually he came with his sleeves rolled up. Uh, he, he had passed by a house where uh, the, the, something had happened to the water tank and the place was being flooded and there was an elderly lady on her own trying to clean up. He took off his jacket and he rolled up his sleeves and he helped her. That lady would never ever again have a negative word to say about ministers and church and Jesus Christ. And so actions speak louder than words. I, I'm very fond of the Peanuts cartoon strip. Uh, and uh, there's a famous one in the winter, the snow is thick on the ground, and the little dog Snoopy is uh, sitting outside in the cold, and he's shivering like mad, and Charlie Brown and Linus come alongside, and uh, they're dressed in big fur coats and fur hats and earmuffs and so forth, Uh, and they just walk past Snoopy, and as they walk past, they say, be of comfort and good cheer, uh, and go leaving the wee dog shivering uh, in the cold, and Uh, Schultz has a cartoon with a question mark over Snoopy's head. We may say that we're compassionate and loving. We may say that we are followers of Jesus, but if we don't act like a follower of Jesus, how can we expect anybody to take seriously what we say? Actions speak louder than words. I think another point I would draw out here is that true faith is a matter of the heart. We've said that already. But it is a matter of relationship with Jesus. It is a matter of coming to know Jesus. I find it hard sometimes talking about personal relationship with Jesus. uh, Because sometimes we're well aware we don't see Jesus. We don't uh, manage to, you know, shake hands with him and and, and so forth. But when I was a young Christian, I, I found it very difficult to pray and to concentrate And this may seem naive and silly to you, but I used to take an empty chair in my bedroom uh, and I would look at that empty chair and I'd imagine Jesus sitting there. And I would talk to him as if he was sitting in the chair in the room with me. And I've discovered that faith is indeed a matter of the heart. It's a matter of meeting God's love with our own. Uh, And, uh, you know, I prayed a little prayer when I was eight years of age, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay. Uh, And he did. Uh, And I say I gave the little I knew of myself to the little I knew of God. But true faith is a matter of the heart. And so it doesn't matter if you don't know all the theology, though theology is important, uh, and I'll say that in a moment, it doesn't matter how clever you are or not, what really matters is what's in your heart. And God sees your heart and he knows what's in your heart. And it's a matter of meeting his love with yours. Uh, So true faith is a matter of the heart. That's what Paul was getting at uh, at the end of uh, chapter 2 in Romans. And then I'd say this, right theology leads to right living. I've just said it doesn't matter if you don't know lots of theology because uh, not all of us can know uh, as much as some people. But actually, theology is important because right theology leads to right practice. And if you are right in your thinking, if you have understood the Scriptures and know how to apply them, then the result will be a living a life that is honoring to God and pleasing to God. Right theology leads to right living. And then a point I just want to make that in one sense doesn't really come from the verses, but somehow I just felt needed to be there. We need to live 
uh, for an audience of one. You see, I, I say this because Paul is getting at those who are outwardly belonging to God but inwardly have an empty spiritual heart. And sometimes the difficulty for us as Christians is we want to be like somebody else or we want to do things to please someone rather than thinking about how do we please God. So I'd always say to folks, live to an audience of one. Uh, when you only answer to the highest possible authority, you don't need to worry about how you answer to anyone else. Because the reality will be that if you live for an audience of one, you will live rightly, and then others will see and praise and honor God. So true religion of the heart was always something that God wanted people to understand. Now, I'm aware of times uh, going on, and uh, let me just bring you to uh, words in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, and uh, if we have time to read this through, I'd love to read verses 12 to 21, Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. And rather than saying much about these verses, would you, would you let God's Holy Spirit use these verses to speak to you this morning? And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways to love him? to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien or the immigrant, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens or immigrants, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders that you saw with your own eyes. That was my phone falling to the ground. It's a good job I've got a hard case to protect it. Take those words on board. Uh, next week, James, I hope we'll be looking at Romans 3. Let me just steal a little bit of his thunder uh, uh, as we finish by looking ahead to Romans 3 and verse uh, 22. Uh, and uh, I, I want to read this. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Salvation is in the Lord. Now listen, as we finish, and we're going to sing a couple of songs to finish, but as we finish, if you've forgotten everything I've said, I want to leave you with four words, four words that you can carry with you into your work this week, into your home this week, into life. Four words that should be a mantra for every Christian, and it's simply this, practice what you preach. 
practice what you preach.